0: This This is
1: the Second Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. As you grow up, you learn how the world is supposed to work. However, as seen in the protests for justice and equal treatment today, these lessons often clash with reality. It takes serious effort to fight against deeply ingrained beliefs even if hard evidence shows them to be false. But every one of us has a capacity to relearn, whether with something on as large a scale as politics or as small as how you view the individuals in your life. In this week's story, teller Vince Pagan shares how his own relationship with his father has evolved and grown as his perspective did the same. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in December 2019, Second Story is proud to present Good Old Dad.
0: My dad is a great dad. He knows how to flip pancakes behind his back, fix almost anything, and tell a corny joke like no one else. He signs all of my birthday cards and a lot of his text messages, your good old dad. He's a great dad, but it took me a little bit to understand that. I trudged up my front stairs at around 4.15, my backpack feeling heavier than usual. When I got into my bedroom, I paced and weighed my options. Forging it definitely crossed my mind. Running was an option. What I didn't want was to fail fourth grade, that felt pathetic. It's not that I didn't want to do my homework or study, and it's not like I didn't know I wasn't supposed to sign my mom's name on the failed test Miss Patel sent home with me. Boppy constantly reminded me how important it was to do a good job in school. Learn from me, mijo, he would say. He'd tell me how he had to leave school in seventh grade to help provide for his household with his six siblings. I just want you to do better than I did. I paced a while longer and decided it was best to just face the music. I took my report card out of my backpack and looked inside in case the two F's and the D had somehow magically changed. They had not, by the way. I put the small green card on the dining room table and sat in my room listening for what seemed like hours until Vincent Alexander! Mom burst into my room, report card in hand, still wearing her coat. After a chorus of, I don't know what we're going to do with yous, she took a deep breath. Your father will talk to you when he gets home. My dad is shortish, around 5'9". He has a small frame and a kind smile. He isn't a scary guy. As a young Puerto Rican man coming up in even more segregated 1970s Chicago, life had disappointed Buppy a lot. Still, he worked his ass off to build a life for us. He woke us up in the morning, made sure we got ready, made us a hot breakfast, and drove us to school until I was 12 and graduated to the CTA. All before a 2 to 11 shift at a sheet steel factory near our house. I wasn't scared of Boppy. I was scared of disappointing him. A long while later, I heard the garage door close from my bedroom, where the door was slightly ajar. Boppy still had his hard hat on and his earplugs hung around his neck. After talking with Mom, he turned toward my door, but Mom stopped him. Don't yell at him, she whispered. I already did that enough for both of us. He steadied his pace and opened my door, his eyes meeting mine with a look of sadness and frustration. A la sala, he said slowly. I did as I was told and scurried past him to the living room, where he told me to sit in the chair looking directly towards my bedroom. He went into my room and came out with a box that had one of my Megazords popping out of the top. He took it into his bedroom. He went back and came out with my Super Nintendo, into his room. Another box, this time filled with my for-fun books. In and out, with my TV, toys, board games, Pokemon cards, everything that could even potentially be used for fun. Using his seldom-used skeleton key, Boppy clearly locked the door, pocketed the key, and sat across from me. You'll get all that back, he said after a moment, pointing at his room and sliding the card toward me when I see an improvement on this. By my junior year of high school, I'd worked hard to become a successfully average student. (laughs) Mom and Papi had gotten divorced and we were living with his girlfriend, her two daughters, and my my five week old half brother, Julian. One cold February day, I was pulled out of school and given a ride to the hospital by a teacher I'd never met before. No one would tell me what was happening, but I'd feared the worst. It had been a rough few weeks. Julian had been restless and developed a cough that, instead of going away like most baby things do, had gotten worse and worse and worse. Your dad will explain when you get there, the teacher said as we buckled into her SUV. Dad was waiting for me in the hallway when I turned the corner to the pediatric wing, tears welling in his eyes. He stepped toward me and fell apart in my arms, whispering between sobs, se me murió el bebé. I followed him into the family room and watched Julián's baptism and last rites. I felt grief and sadness, but no tears would come. I'd seen Dad cry before, but watching him weep silently to himself while he carried Julian's tiny casket from the hearse to the burial site, broke my heart, even at 16. In the weeks following the funeral, I stopped caring about school again. Didn't do my homework, cut my classes often, almost never went to geometry or PE, 8th and ninth periods respectively. Instead, I'd walk over to Starbucks with my best friend Kim for a Frappuccino. I shirked responsibility freely and often. Everyone was so busy dealing with their grief and everything that came with it, I didn't think anyone was paying attention enough to notice. One Wednesday afternoon, I was sitting at Starbucks with a freshly blended strawberries and cream frappuccino when my cell phone rang and Dad's number popped up. Kim froze in terror, but I waved nonchalantly and answered, Hi Dad, where are you right now? In the locker room, getting ready to go to P.E. Yes, I was that bold. Interesting. I'm standing in the main office of your school right now. They just called down to the gym. The teacher says you haven't been there all week. Now I froze. I'm going to be at the front door of your school in five minutes. You'll be there waiting for me. Click. I turned to Kim. We sprang up and started the four-block run-walk back to the front of Lincoln Park High School. Dad, of course, was already waiting for me when I got there. My strawberries and cream frappuccino ditched in a trash can along the way. I followed immediately behind him and walked towards the street. Sitting silently in Dad's car, I turned to look at him. His head hung low and slowly shook from side to side as though he couldn't think of anything to say. I felt a sinking feeling of regret and guilt. Disappointing my dad hadn't gotten any easier since fourth grade. I came out of the closet when I was 17 in the summer before my senior year. First, I told the friends I knew would understand, then my gay aunt, then my older sister, and my mom. But not dad. I'd tell him next year when I left for college. Or I'd plan to, until one night in a dead panic, I discovered that he'd found the secret teenage boy contents of a hidden folder inside a folder inside another folder labeled homework stuff on the computer in my room, an unsuccessful attempt at misdirection. I paced back and forth, unsure of what to do. I couldn't confront him about it because that would be confession by default. Ultimately, I figured confession by choice beat confession by default anytime. So I wrote him a letter. The morning after the folder incident, dad and I drove to school in complete silence. When we pulled up, my breath, hands, and heart shaky, I pulled the tightly folded pages out of my pocket. Dad, I started, I need you to read this. He reached for the note, but really all of it, all the way to the end, okay? My voice started to quiver and I could feel tears dangerously close to falling. Okay, mijo. Okay. I left the car without another word. After four pages of explanations, pleas, and profuse apologies for disappointing him for not being the man I thought he wanted me to be, I ended the letter by letting him know I'd be staying at Kim's house tonight to give him some time to cool off. That night at Kim's, as worst case scenarios ran through my head, I got a text from my dad I love you, son. Come home whenever you want. Love, your good old dad. A few years later, I started seeing Devin, and even though for a cumulative year we took a couple of shots at a relationship, it didn't end up working. I chose not to mention it to dad for both our sakes. We never talked about relationships or love interests. I wasn't ready for a full-on I-loved-this-person conversation, but I had it anyway, just not with dad. On a family vacation, I told my stepmom, Ivelisse, the whole story, who Devin was, why we broke up, and why it was unsalvageable. A few weeks later, I got a call from dad. He asked me flat out, how come you told Yvelise about your breakup and I didn't even know you had a boyfriend? What do you mean? I asked, sitting down. Evelise told me. She said she was surprised because you'd never mentioned him and asked me if I knew. I thought, that's weird, because a year is a long time to be with someone and not tell your dad about it. I didn't think you were really interested in that stuff, I said, realizing that I actually wasn't sure why I thought that and hoped he didn't ask. Mijo, I want to know when you're happy. I want to know when you're excited and when you're sad. I wish you would talk to me about your life. He sounded grounded in what he was saying, like he had practiced. I'm proud of you. You're taking care of yourself. You have a good job. I know you're a young man now, and you don't need as much advice from your good old dad anymore. He laughed a little. But you know, you can talk to me about whatever you would talk to your friends about. Okay? Now who's this pendejo who decided he's not good (laughs) enough for you? I call my dad every few weeks to see how he's doing, or he'll call me to guilt me for not calling him, and then I'll call him two days later. We have a good system. We'll talk for a bit about what's going on in Florida, what's happening with him, uh, with me, lots of dad questions. He met my boyfriend Gregory this summer and invited us to visit him in Florida, which we are doing next month. Yes, I am very nervous, thanks for asking. (laughs) I spent a lot of time resenting my dad for cheating on my mom, for being such a hard ass, for not being as comfortable as I wanted him to be with my queerness. What I wish I'd been doing was letting him get to know me, helping him understand me rather than assuming he doesn't want to, doing what I needed to do to make him proud instead of trying to cover my tracks when I let him down. My dad is a great dad. He knows how to flip pancakes behind his back, fix almost anything and tell a corny joke like no one else. He has a huge heart, even though he doesn't wear it on his sleeve, he's smarter than most politicians and could probably build a car given the right set of tools and access to the internet. And all he wants is for me to be happy, which took me way too long to figure out.
1: This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by LaTanya Lane, directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Nick Park. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, Skadden, Arps, Leipzig, and Flome, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, And this 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 is the second Second Story Podcast.